All right. Well, good morning again. If you're visiting, thank you for joining us. My name is Peter. I serve as the lead pastor of the Springs. And I am excited to announce and dive right into our very first sermon in our new series, A Study in the Book of Judges. I want to first issue a warning, however. We're about to jump into a crazy story. Maybe you've been like me. Maybe this has happened to you. You're surfing through the channels, right? You got your remote control. And maybe this has happened to you before. Maybe it's PBS. Maybe it's History Channel. And you go right into the middle of a graphic war rendering documentary. And you're right in the middle of it all of a sudden. This is what that is going to feel like. Jumping into the book of Judges will be that graphic. But I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to ask you to garner all the bravery that God would give you. Because here's the thing. Whether you know it or not, and especially if you don't know it, we are in the middle of a war. And the carnage is great. And God would give you the bravery to not just be another normal casualty of the war around us. And the normal casualty is the blind and unknowing sort of casualty. But you could bravely enter into the reality, the difficult parts of God's story. In seeing God through his story and God's people in the book of Judges, we're going to see some powerful, messy redemption come through it. So I'm going to ask you to be so brave as to do that with your hearts and with your feet Would you stand to your feet with me and honor God's word as we're going to jump into the book of Judges. We're going to be in chapter 2 and we'll start here in verse 6. Now we pick up in God's story. As far as this relates in the Bible, God made heaven and earth, Genesis. He called the people out for himself in the book of Genesis. Exodus, he, he takes these people who were enslaved in Egypt and he takes them out of the land. The next few books, they're wandering in the desert right? And God gives them the law. And then in the book of Joshua, right before Judges, he tells them to go take dominion over the land, conquer the land. And what we see by the end of the book of Joshua is that they almost obeyed God. And that's where we pick up in the book of Judges. And you'll see coming through that, that as it relates to the book of Judges and as it relates to your life, the most dangerous, most common, most sad and tragic form of disobedience is almost obedience. It's what happens here. We have Joshua, Moses' protege, has, is, is, has died, and now we have the period of the book of Judges. Verse 6 of chapter 2, when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel coming out of Egypt. Verse 8, And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years old. And they buried him within the boundaries of the inheritance of Timnah-Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north in the mountain of Gash. And all the generation also gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, who did not know the Lord, nor the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. God's word. Thank you. Y'all can be seated. Let's pray. 
Lord, help us. Help us to rightly stomach your truth in a way that rightly processes pain and ugliness and tragedy rather than avoiding it, rightly processing it. Lord, meet us where we are today, not where we think we are in our own eyes. But Jesus, meet us where we are and don't let us stay here. Purify us, strengthen us, embolden us, fortify us for your kingdom by your word. Amen. Now here's what I want to do this morning. I want to go through chapter 2, which we just started. And I want you to go with me. Can we do that? We're going to go through chapter 2 because chapter 2 serves as an introduction, essentially, to the whole book of Judges. And in fact, it gives a little bit of overview of what's about to follow in the next 21 chapters of Judges. Chapter 2 shows essentially what happens In this whole time period that's hundreds and hundreds of years after Israel enters the land of Canaan. It's a tragic story of God's people when they almost obey the Lord. As I go through this chapter, I'm going to have a few points as we go. And this first point is this. You ready? Anyone ready? First point is this. When we lose God's viewpoint, we lose our way. When we lose his perspective, when we lose his lens through which to see the world, when we lose how he sees things, his sight, when we lose God's viewpoint, we lose our way. Now this is, I'm going to take most of my time on this point because it's very important. It's really essentially the theme of this book. When we lose God's viewpoint, we lose our way. I'm going to reread verse 11. Of chapter 2. It says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, other gods of the land. Now you might be surprised when I tell you this, that this qualitative description given in, in verse 11 of chapter 2 is the best description of the people of Israel in the book of Judges. And they just spiral down from here. Now you might say, How does it get worse than evil? What's more evil than evil? Pastor Peter? Well, thank you very much for asking. God shows that. I want to ask, I'm going to ask you to keep your finger in chapter 2. Go all the way to the last chapter of the book of Judges. Chapter 21, the very last verse of the whole book of Judges. Verse 25. All of the the pages in between where chapter 21 and chapter uh, chapter 2 is. This whole book of Judges that we're going to go over these next few weeks. It is disturbing to say the least. It's a story of a people that lost God's viewpoint and went from bad to worse. The carnage, the destruction, the dignity robbed of human beings and young women is awful. It's hard to stomach. It's important to process. Judges is really a story of us, when we got, lose God's viewpoint, we too lose our way. And so it's going to be important for us to see the denigration that happens when we lose God's viewpoint. But listen, let me tell you how it gets from evil to worse. The description at the end of the book of God's people, the qualitative description given is verse 25 of chapter 21. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right. 
in his own eyes. Now, flip back to chapter 2. This description, everyone did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 11. That's given a few times at the start of the book. But by the end of the book, this everyone did what was right in his own eyes is mentioned four times as the description for a nation that's completely defiled themselves and destroyed God's creation. At a cursory look at it, you might think, wait, things have progressed, right? I mean, that's the common sizzle word in our culture. There's progression. You know, they went from evil to good, right? Doing evil, if you just kind of cut up the verse a little bit, uh, it says that they did what was evil, okay? Chapter 21, everyone did what was right. And oftentimes that's so much like the world, any culture. People can go from doing what's good, what's, what's evil to doing what's good and have so much self-esteem about it. Because we've gone from, from our, our more uh, restrictive days to a, a progressed day where we're doing what's right. The problem is this, is maybe in chapter 2, everyone did what was evil. And in chapter 21, everyone did what was right. But listen to this. Chapter 2, think of it the other part of the verse. Everyone went from living in the sight of the Lord... In essence, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They lived, went from the perspective and the viewpoint, the sight of the Lord to doing life in one's own eyes. And the difference between living in the viewpoint of God and living in the viewpoint of yourself is shown in the pages between. And it's difficult, it's ugly, it's filthy. And honestly, it's like my life and yours when we lose God's viewpoint. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The qualitative question of your life and mine has always been, whose eyes do you see your life through? When we lose God's viewpoint, we lose our way. How much is this like our culture? Today, you know, at worst, we don't denigrate things that God's given us by explicitly seeking after evil, right? We don't, most often when we're pursuing evil things and doing wicked things, it's not because we woke up one day and said, you know what? I think I, I want to make Satan happy today. I think I'm going to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explicitly do evil things today because that's the decision I'm making. Most often we do the most wicked things by doing what's right in our own eyes. We don't get up and say, today, I, I'm going I'm to, you know, I'm going to try serial killing today. We don't do that. All of our evil, the worst of our worst, is pursuing good in our own eyes. It's the worst of the worst in the book of Judges. In your life and mine, the path to depravity and to destruction is the pursuit of a perverted Good, not just an explicit evil. In fact, go to the very first sin. The very first sin when, when God creates man and woman for us to, to live life in his image. And he gives us the ability to love him, which is a choice. We're not robots. 
We can, we can love God or we can have the alternative. When I married my wife, I chose to love her and thereby forsaking all others, I give myself to you. I have a choice. If there was no choice, there's no love. God gave us a choice to love him. He gave us the freedom to love him. He made us in his image. And he said, but, but choose life. There's this other tree here. Don't choose that. The choice was given, but what was the, the choice made? Verse 6 of chapter 3 of Genesis is an explanation of why you and I don't think right. We don't do right. Things are a mess. This is where it started. Was it in pursuit of evil explicitly? Well, let's read verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was evil and fitting for power in darkness. No, it, didn't say, it doesn't say that. Verse 6 of chapter 3 says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, then she sold herself away from her God. You might say, what's wrong with pursuing good and delightful and wise things? The, the, the question is, is, in whose eyes are you pursuing good and delight and pleasure? See, we lose his viewpoint and we pursue our own pleasures apart from him. We wonder why things go from bad to worse. It's all about the viewpoint. And this is so common among Christians today, church. We, I think it's the areas that we are desiring to, to do good and honor God in so often, that so often stand in direct rebellion to the God that we think we're serving. We deceive ourselves. We, we do good religious God things right, but we do it in our own eyes. See, unsubmitted good is the worst kind of evil. You know, who, who does evil just knowing it? Who just says, I am going to do evil today. Maybe a few people who sell albums are out there like, man, I just went with Satan because it was a little bit better of a return on my, my music investment. Um, but no one, most, most of the most evil people don't do evil explicitly thinking they're doing evil. I'm going to use an example. If I said her name, you'd know it. But a very popular Disney music artist that went from cute to, oh my gosh, I can't unsee what I just saw, ugly, nasty, evil. This girl thinks she's doing good things. In fact, there was a, a pretty wicked talk show host that was also disgusted by her. That's how bad she was. And this, this person says, does your dad, is he okay with all this like walking around naked all the time and doing weird explicit things with people? Like, this is what she said. This is, this is going to help you to see your excuses for sin and mine. This young woman, who is a precious young woman and has yet been sold to a lie, she says, there are a lot of people out there with clothes on that are bad people. But I think my dad would just like to know that, you know, even if I'm naked, at least I'm a good person. The power of deception is pretty awful. Because the thing is, is she is a good person in her own eyes. And so like you and me, when we pursue evil and spiral into it and the mess is all around us, none of us, it was the intention. We didn't try to do evil. 
We did what was right in our own sight. We lose God's viewpoint. See, our nation has come so far in so many ways. And listen, I am not the person here who's going to bemoan some uh, conservia from the 50s. Like, we should all go back to the regressive days when women weren't treated as women and in the good old days. No, there is no good old days in essence. But some of the things that we call righteous aren't righteous. And some of the things that we call evil aren't evil. We're getting things totally upside down. In so many ways, the church is advancing. God's purifying his church. And the vestiges of line and the facade of the old church is being exposed. But listen, the viewpoint of a culture is being shifted into filth. We're starting to see things that are right through our own eyes. You know, I love in so many ways that our culture has progressed. We used to enslave human beings and treat them like animals. In in nations that have done this in history, God most often will take that nation and say, I'll destroy you. I will wipe you out and get rid of you for doing this to my creation. He didn't choose to do that with our nation. He had mercy on our nation and judged us and purified us. And we've seen a nation intact, even though God's judged a very wicked moment of slavery. We've seen in this nation women being empowered in so many ways. But listen, the subtle reality of this last several decades has been that not only are we losing God's viewpoint of how we can further progress with what God's done in our nation, but we're proud of it. We lose his viewpoint, we lose our way, and we think we're so good because of it. We're the most sexually confused generation in history. We're dependent on prescription drugs to get out of bed like never before. We're addicted to pornography, and thus we're feeding the sex industry and likewise the sex trafficking industry like fuel in a fire, like gasoline on a fire. We're killing 1.2 million innocent babies every year. But oh, how we've progressed in our own eyes. You see, we're meant to grieve what God grieves at the same time as rejoicing for the good progressions. But we can't do any. It's all confused and upside down if we lose his viewpoint. When we lose his viewpoint, we lose our way. Now we should be asking, how do we capture and maintain his viewpoint? We should be asking that. We should be saying, how do I get his viewpoint? It would be great if we could be transported up to to where he is and see what he sees in an instant. But it doesn't work like that. You see, we are meant to get his viewpoint by listening to him. It's a relationship thing as much as it's a get up early and read your Bible thing. I'm going to challenge you to do that. I'm going to challenge you, especially in this next month, to to read your Bible. Read the book of Judges this month. We just challenged our established class this morning. Read the Bible by the end of the year. You got seven months. That's really fast. That's kind of weird. Be weird. Read the Bible. Listen to him. Get his viewpoint. It's a relationship thing. It's so much like any other relationship. You get someone else's perspective by listening to them. On Saturday, I celebrate 10 years of being married to my lovely wife. Uh, Thank you. Oh, that's good. Thanks for the applause. See, the first service, everyone applauded when I said that, and I thought it was because my wife was sitting up front, and everyone's like, good job, putting up with this guy for 10 years. Okay, good. Yeah, 10 years. Here we go. Where was I going with that? Oh, yeah, okay. Now, I've learned this last 10 years. 
that for me to get her viewpoint is a mercy to me. In fact, I can do all sorts of stupid, and it gets even more stupid, when I only have my own viewpoint. And I have needed her perspective in so many ways as God's grace to me. But how do I get her perspective? I have to shut up and listen. And some of y'all who know me well are saying, that happens? Well, the next 10 years, that'll happen. Honestly, shutting up and listening to her, stopping my scrambling in God's word, in, in being open to God's word instead of just on the torrent of my own worries. I struggle more than I succeed. And I think so do you. You see, left to ourselves, we degenerate into just constant growing in our own eyes, losing his viewpoint. And that leads me to my next point. Not only do we lose our way when we lose his viewpoint, but number two, when we lose our way, we spiral downward. And the worst kind of spiral is this, is when you're going into a pit and you don't know it and things feel good at times and you don't know you're spiraling down, but it's getting worse and worse and worse. And this is the story of the people of Israel in the time of the judges. Let me read on from verse 11. Stay with me. Verse 11 The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, and they they bought who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they went after other gods. Now stop right there for a minute. These gods are gods that they would sacrifice their children on the altars to. To appease these gods, they would take kids that are my baby's ages and, and they would burn them on the fire and end their life to serve these gods. So God, when God wants to judge a nation, when he won't tolerate what we tolerate, we think we're so nice when we tolerate sin, when he won't tolerate this and he says, wipe this out from the land. I do not want to see another child scream. He told them to go and conquer the land and they did not. They tolerated it. They were nice about it. They bowed down to these other gods. I'm sure they thought they were being nice. They were doing right. They abandoned the Lord, verse 13, and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to their plunderers and who plundered them, and he sold them in the land and the surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. The Lord had warned this, and the Lord had sworn it to them, and they were in terrible distress. Verse 16, the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not not listen to the judges. They whored after the other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside in the way their fathers, from the way their fathers had walked, who obeyed the commandments of the Lord. And they did not do so. Verse 18, whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was, was with the judge and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved by pity for their, because of their groaning and their affliction and oppression. But verse 19, but whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices, nor their stubborn ways. See, they spiraled downward. It says they were more and more and more corrupt than their fathers. It says they were in terrible distress. 
verse 15. Let me share something with you that's implied in this. Not only were they in distress, not only were they spiraling down, but listen, God let them. God let them. Sit on that for a second. This is what's called the mercy of God's judgment. One of the scariest things about the Lord God is that so often he'll let you do what you want. He'll let people who say, let me follow my heart. Let me do what's right in my eyes. And when a bunch of of fallen hearts come in conflict with one another, the distress is an unspeakable thing. I don't have to read something out of ancient mythology to you. No one, people who think this is ancient mythology only have to look at the distress of their own lives. This is God's word. It happened and it's still happening. The distress when God so often just lets you do what you want. Now, the the greatest story of my life is when he rescues me from me. But so often the mercy of his judgment is when he lets you do what you want. He turns you over to yourself and he says, okay, I'll let you. And why is that? That's my last point. Number three, when we spiral into a pit, only God can pull us out. When we spiral into a pit, only God can pull us out. You know, Judges, this book, it is a story of messy redemption where God jumps into our mess as he jumps into yours today and he works with you right there. Your ugliest things are not hidden from God. You are more wicked than you'll ever be willing to admit and yet more loved more capable of being redeemed, forgiven, and purified. Not just forgiven, but purified. If we walk in darkness, we lie, First John says. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is the deliverer. See, This word judges, you know, the the Bible when it was written, the different 66 books of the Bible, there weren't weren't titles given to the book, okay? The the titles came later just so that we could delineate through God's scripture. So the book of Judges was named Judges because of a rendering when you translate from the Hebrew to the English for a word that's frequently used. We actually just read this word Judges multiple times where it says God raises up judges. The word judge in our culture is probably not the best rendering of this word because that has this this, uh, connotation of some sort of judicial passive thing that you do. Good, bad, good, bad. The better word is ruler or actually deliverer. So this could very well be the book of deliverers. And I think that calling this book by this name, I think was meant by God to be an ironic tragedy. Because this book is about a bunch of failed judges, a bunch of failed deliverers. In fact, in the last few thousand years, 
a lot of ancient Jews who don't yet believe in this part of the Bible, math, you know, the New Testament, they would, their Bible ends at Malachi. Okay? So they see the, the, the Hebrew Bible as being the, the Torah is the first five books of the, the, the word. It's the, God's pure law for his purified people. And then Joshua is where they settle into the land where they can live out that law. And ancient Jews see the word, the, the book of Judges, have always seen the book of Judges as almost like a, a bad contrast for what was to come. Because the next, the next book is the kingdom period of Israelite history, where you see First and Second Samuel. And, and so a lot of Jews' opinion, the book of Judges is meant to provide a contrast, to, to foretell, to provide room for this coming king, King David. And so it's supposed to be a setup in their view. Well, the problem with that is the book of Judges, these are a bunch of failed deliverers. But David is also a failed king. You see, Judges might be a setup for Samuel, but in the same way Judges is a contrast for the the kingdom of David, so too, and infinitely more so, the whole Old Testament is a setup and a contrast for our need of a greater king, a greater deliverer, who when he delivers, there's no more deliverance needed. It's done. It is finished. Listen, this one, there's a greater king who never lost sight of God's viewpoint. Perfectly he saw. And it's recorded in John when he says, I only do what I see the father doing. See, the perfect deliverer, the perfect king is Jesus, who not only sees from God's perspective and acts accordingly, but he also sees you and he sees me in the pit. And he chose on a day in history to jump in and go after us. That is the great and glorious king that judges and the rest of the Bible foretells. That is the true deliverer. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. God saves us from our mess, jumps into the pit, pulls us out. He is the great deliverer because, listen, because of Jesus, we don't just have the two failed options of either doing evil in God's sight or doing right in our own sight. We can be purified in our seeing and in our doing because of his resurrection power. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And then he rose again from the dead to give us his power if we would accept the trade. We no longer have to do evil or worse good in our sight. We can be restored to his light, not walking in darkness and thinking we're in the light. Ephesians 5 says, for a time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. See, it's a commandment and a promise that you don't have to walk in darkness anymore, that there's freedom to walk in the light. So walk in the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Expose them in yourself. Why, why can I be in a growth group and confess my sin and talk about how not only did Jesus save me from the ugliest parts of my, my sin uh, before 
before I was 15 years old and some of the ugly things that were difficult to talk to my wife about when we got married? Why can, why can I be free from that? And yet I can still be uh, walking in the light with my friends in my growth group and talk about my anger issues and how I need the light of God on it and expose my sin because I'm not my own deliverer. There is a great deliverer and judge and king. And he is the hope in darkness. And he is the hope in the worst kind of darkness. The kind of darkness that tries to pretend like it's light in its own eyes. Would you pray with me? Lord, you see these precious people. These precious children. But Lord, so many in here don't see that you see. Don't see that you see not only the things they try to hide, the ugly, painful, hurtful things that's just in their mind that maybe they have to go to a bunch of counselors before they're willing to say, to, to, to explain what, what the, what's inside there. Holy Spirit, you are the good counselor. You see them, and I pray that right now that you would help everyone to see that you see. You see the dark, evil, hurtful things, but you see the purification. You see your precious children. But you've given me, as a daddy of four babies, even a small sight, even in my fallenness and my sinfulness, I can be overwhelmed by the love you've given me for my kids. How much more? You're a pure father who loves who hates evil, who hates your children being destroyed, who hates destructiveness, who hates when, when evil is called good and good is called evil. You hate it because you love your children and you love your kids even though we're all mixed up in it. And you see what you're going to do from this moment forward and that only you have the power to do it. I'm asking that you would help Whoever's here that maybe has never stepped into the light, maybe they're still in the pit. Maybe you're showing them for the first time, you're in the pit, you've never walked in my light. You, you've known things about me, but today is your day where you surrender yourself to me. All your sin, your best efforts, and your worst failures, Jesus says, I want it all. I can make a beautiful thing out of your broken pieces because you're my beloved child. And if that's you, even in this moment, on May 1st, 2016, the Holy Spirit invites you into relationship with the Son who died and rose for you. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to pray to God and just say, God, make me new. Transform me. Make me new. Give me your light. And it's that simple. Lord, even now, even as they're praying, Lord, you're flipping the light on. Lord, help all of us to see through your eyes, to see from your perspective, your viewpoint. Lord, help us to see when we encounter our neighbors this week and our friends and our families and our coworkers. Help something to be new. And it's not just that we're trying harder to uh, put up with their stuff, but that we're seeing them through your viewpoint. Your perspective. 
But we're seeing them with holiness and with tenderness, not with just tenderness that lacks holiness or holiness that lacks tenderness. Help us to see others through your sight. And I pray, Lord, that in the coming weeks, they would be able to to trace their messy redemption back to the point where you had us pray for them and invite them into growth groups and connect them into your people. They'd be able to trace that this effectual, powerful moment If that's you, just say, Lord, I want your eyes. Just repeat after me out loud. Lord, give me your eyes to see. Lord, give me your eyes to see. Lord, have your way in us. Everyone said, amen. Would you stand to your feet with me, please? Thank you for joining us today. Y'all are beautiful people. And we love to get together on Sundays and many other days of the week. We have growth groups that we confess sin to each other, pray for each other. And listen, here's what's crazy. God hears and responds to our prayer when we pray together. It's a beautiful thing. And I'm asking you, if you, if you uh, want to work out what he's speaking to you, um, don't be in a hurry to leave. We can connect with you at the connection table here. We can pray uh, we can connect you to growth groups and move on from there. The other thing is, is if, you're, if you're here for equip, it's after our second service at 1 o'clock right here. We'll start our equip class that anyone uh, is, who's a part of leading a growth group or wants to be a part of one, leading one, you can stay around. We have pizza, uh, child care. Uh, equip is right after this service at 1 o'clock. And again, if you need prayer for anything, we're here for you. And if you're visiting, you can turn your connection cards into the back and we can answer any other questions from there. Thank you. We're dismissed.